So it's, a, it's kind of hectic at Kat's place right now. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's just going to keep. So we, I say we. So Kat has Thor again yeah. semi-permanently until they <laughs> Until like, it's permanent. Yeah. Plus the uh, two itty bitties and then the three cats. Yeah. It's a zoo. <laughs> I'm stressed. <laughs> yeah. Thor is oh, quite a stressful zoo. Thor wants down? to be our fourth co-host. Yeah, real bad. Anya's start growling at him. Anya's yelling at everybody. At everyone. <laughs> she scratched me. Not too hard. Oh, did she actually use claws? She she did, but not not nothing crazy. Do you hear that very deep growl? Yeah, that's Izzy. <gasps> that's the baby. Yeah, Izzy is not a fan. Like Thor, I can tell. Oh, this is not gonna work. You might have to put him I'm in his kill. kennel. Okay. <laughs> Anya's like, thank God. <laughs> oh, we, we, we put Thor in Kat's room. I almost just knocked the microphone off the table. <laughs> Don't it's do great. that. <laughs> it's going to be a bit of a crazy day. This recording is going to get split in half. I mean, the you, the listeners, won't notice until we say something, but... yeah. We have our tattoo appointments today, so we're going to probably record the first half of this, go do some stuff with Thor, (laughs) get our tattoos, come back, and finish. Hell yeah. I made the suggestion that we record in the tattoo studio, but Rachel's like, no. (laughs) Okay, first of all, the tattoo gun's going to be loud, and second of all, nobody nobody needs to hear me crying, okay? (laughs) We can do it while I'm getting tattooed. I don't... (laughs) Sitting along there, like, oh yeah, oh 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 yeah, great. (laughs) But um, yeah, you are listening to Difficult Damsels. This is a history podcast about badass women from history. I really thought you were going to say about history. I was like, that was (laughs) good. I got distracted. That was good. Yeah, no. Um, (laughs) Slash comedy podcast. Cats most of the comedy. That's Cat, by the way. (laughs) Oh yeah, that's Rachel. And um, you're going to have to forgive this kind of chaotic opening. We just got a lot going on. A lot is happening. Watching the itty bitties play wrestle right now. Attacking each other. Thor's attacking the door. Thor does not want to be kept away. Oh, my. Oh, Izzy's going to go down. Izzy's down. It's like Scar. and We just watched Mufasa and Scar have their battle on the couch. Or on my couch. On the cat. That was fun. Long live the king. <laughs> Mufasa is not staying down though. Mufasa is not. <laughs> she would be Mufasa. I feel like. Oh she yeah, seems he'd be like, Scar. Yeah. yeah, she's like no, but he's so sweet. No, he's not. He is. He's a butthead. No, he's <laughs> adorable. Okay, we need, to, we need to stop talking about the cats that they can't see. <laughs> I mean, listen, listen, guys. Oh. Oh my god. <laughs> this is gonna be an interesting episode. This is gonna be great. Oh, Anya's involved. Oh god. Oh, no. Anya's god. Up at, up oh, there's hissing. <laughs> so this Anya. is my life. <laughs> if anyone wants to know why cat sounds exceptionally crazy today, it's because 
today. There's a lot. Okay, you know hey, what? Anya. <laughs> if this survives oh. to the actual recording, um, yeah, this is what it's like having five cats. Okay, so in my defense, I was only supposed to have five cats and not the dog. <laughs> but then I got the two cats. And they're like, by the way, you get the dog too. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's fine. You're like, just... <laughs> Added on, I guess. Yeah, I think somebody <laughs> broke inside me when that happened. I was like, "Cool, I get a farm." Okay. Oh man. I got a I got a bigger place and then filled it. <laughs> you did. Hello, Jasmine. Welcome You're to the party. You're only using like half the place too. I really am. That's because I'm an asshole. I know. <laughs> I mean, she still finds a way yeah, to do what she's going to do. That's true. Thor's and then not, not excited about Gemma is just staring that door down like, "I dare you to come out." I dare you. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess so. This is our magical part four episode yes. that wasn't supposed to happen, but did happen. <laughs> and it was still, ah, uh, goodness. I had to trim two pages off of it because I was like, That's so great. we can't do 15 pages. So this girl texts me, Mark Antony is a drama queen. I'm like, that sounds right. <laughs> oh, yes. This is the uh, Mark Antony is a drama queen yeah. episode. Yeah. But of course, history remembers Cleopatra as the drama queen. But as we're going to see, like, Really, the roles are reversed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> Rome sounds like it's got a lot of male drama queens in it. Oh, so many. Oh, so many. <laughs> well, um, speaking of Cleopatra and Mark Antony, when we last left off with part three, Mark Antony had given Cleopatra the donations of Alexandria. Yeah. So, again... Cleopatra now has all of this extra land, which should be donations of Alexandria or Artemisia. Alexandria, you're thinking of Artemisia from. No, what am I thinking about? What what did he just conquer? Parthia. No, he didn't conquer Parthia. He tried. No. He, the one, the the like, the like, we're just going to conquer this just to feel good about ourselves. Oh, Armenia. Armenia. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> no, but the the donations of Alexandria essentially returns the Ptolemaic kingdom to the splendor that it was in the third century BCE. All right. So I know we said uh, we would be leaving for the tattoo thing a little later in the episode, but uh, Thor had other ideas. Chaos ensued in my house. Tried tried to start this recording, what, like 10 times? God, it was so many times. So we finally just called it quits and we're like, it's fine, but just do it after our tattoos. Yeah, so we just got our tattoos. We're freaking obsessed! They're beautiful. They're beautiful. I'm sure by the time this is out, we'll probably just post them on the Instagram page. So you guys have probably already seen them. Possibly. You're fucking welcome for this glorious beauty. That that came out so well. I wasn't sure, like when you said watercolor, but Oh, yeah, no. I love the way she blended it in. She, the, yeah, she does the really. Wings. She does really well of, <clears throat> at making the watercolors like seem like it's part of it. Yeah, it's and, very like, seamless, especially because it's part of the wings. Yeah, I love it. My tattoo was basically two tattoos put into one, and mm-hmm. she made them seamless. Yeah, she's amazing. Her name's Katya. She is at AZ Tattoo Asylum. <laughs> I will. Sing her prayers until the cows come. Yeah, I was like, this is not. <laughs> this is ad, not an ad, but also but... it is an ad because I love her. <laughs> go check them. Yeah, go check them out. They're yeah. they're great. Fifty first and Thunderbirds in Arizona. <laughs> All right, so Rachel's right, like, now that your ad's over, are you ready? <laughs> I am. Yes, I'm just going to be awkwardly staring at this the whole time. <clears throat> I've said this first part of my notes like About ten times. times. So, 
So when we left off, um, it was basically with the donations of Alexandria, which granted Egypt a whole swath of land and returned the Ptolemaic dynasty back to its third century BCE glory. So all with a woman on the throne. As this is all going on, Rome was reeling from the events that were occurring in Alexandria. You'll recall from our last episode that Mark Antony had held a faux triumph in Alexandria. This was the first time a triumph had been held outside of Rome, and it scandalized the Roman populace as the whole point of a triumph was that it was held, held in sight of the Roman gods. And Are you trying to tell me, Rachel? <laughs> I've said this about a thousand times, but are you trying to tell me that the Roman gods won't be able to see it and they're not all seeing? And if it's outside of Rome, it's like null and void? Yes, for the 10th time, they can't see it outside of Rome. (laughs) Seamless, seamless. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, back in Alexandria, everyone was having a grand old time. The donations of Alexandria were incredibly popular in Egypt. As the ancient world loved its prophecies, these gifts seemed to confirm a prophecy that spoke of a Ptolemy that would outweigh all other sovereigns in wealth and power and usher in a new golden age. And so it seems that Cleopatra did. As news spread, new coins were minted in her image. Gold continued to flow into her already healthy coffers, and now the shipyards of Alexandria were busy. Mark Antony was not done in the east, and Cleopatra was happy to replenish his depleted navy. Or rather, her depleted navy, because <laughs> most of the ships were hers. Yeah, because <laughs> his might is like entirely hers, because it's all her money. And- I mean... <laughs> His might on the sea, yes. He yeah. still has his Roman legions. Whatever's left of them. <laughs> There's still a good amount I left. We're going to find out. <laughs> and of course, the city partied. Alexandria needed little excuse to party, but the donations and the promise of what was to come was as much a cause for celebration as any. Cleopatra was as benevolent as she was ambitious. A goddess does not cavort with mere mortals, and so she began to craft Mark Antony's image into that of a god within her own kingdom. This is when you start to see more statues pop up around the city, cementing Mark Antony's status as the new Dionysus. Is that not going to cause problems? Because wasn't he well-liked because he was one of the... basically hung out with commoners and pretended he was one of them, essentially? No. They already view her as a god, so it's like... But he's still, he's just like one of the like friendly, cool gods, you know? Sure, Jen. <laughs> he's not like other gods. He's a cool oh, god. He's a cool god. <laughs> They're so rare. <laughs> Meanwhile, oh. back in Rome, Octavian has been busy this whole time consolidating power. He starts off by defeating Sextus Pompeius, Stop. who had been the son of Pompey the Great. Sextus. <laughs> Jesus. Like you um, named him while you were having sex. <laughs> <laughs> That's what came out. Um, <laughs> The thing you need to know about Octavian is he's not really a martial person. So when I say Octavian's victory, I really mean his good friend, Marcus Agrippa. Uh, So basically Octavian and Agrippa. Do you remember from the Agrippina episodes when I was like... Yeah, Agrippa sounds really familiar. And you were like, Agrippa, Agrippa. (laughs) Anyway, Octavian and Agrippa had been childhood friends that met while at school. Octavian had been the sickly but studious friend, and Agrippa was the athletic friend that went on to become a soldier. Every battle Octavian goes on to win is basically won because of Agrippa. He's his main general. Cool. Yeah. (laughs) Octavian also got rid of Lepidus. Remember Lepidus? I remember the name. He was the the third member of the triumvirate that I was like, oh, "Oh, the guy who's like this motherfucker. Yeah, he's (laughs) not that important to us. (laughs) 
So Does he die? No. Oh. He doesn't die. He just basically Octavian, I don't know, destroys him with words. He takes his legion. That's the best way to die, honestly. And strips him of his power, but he does not die. And he is allowed. Why? He's just allowed to retire to a life of obscurity and anonymity. I think Lepidus was... Lepidus is like, fuck you too. I can't he's, do this. Yeah, I don't... He he was defeated enough where he was like, look, I'm not crazy and I'm not going to keep pushing. Just give me a little quiet island and I'll oh. go disappear there. See, he did it right. That's all you got to do, guys. And he no lived. No to bow out. <laughs> he lived for 20 years. <laughs> so later on when Octavian goes on to become Emperor Augustus... Alert, alert. Um, <laughs> wow. Was, One more time? <laughs> he would... Uh, he would call Lepidus up from like his exile and have him like to dinner just to make digs at him and make fun. <laughs> oh my god, what yeah. a dick. He, he was This is why you don't go to dinner parties, guys. <laughs> don't set yourself up for this. Now with all other rivals out of the way, Octavian was able to turn his full attention on Mark Antony. And so the propaganda war was about to begin. Much of what we actually know about the events that occurred in Alexandria come to us directly from Octavian after he delivers a rousing speech to the Senate and lists all of Mark Antony's blunders. Was top of the game that he fucking was seduced by Cleopatra? Yes, of course. Of course. Of course. What was it? Through passion and womanly wiles and Beguiling and (laughs) She was beguiling and guys just looked up the thesaurus and those are all the same words. (laughs) As with a lot of the name-calling, defamation, and slander that comes from the propaganda war between both of them, much of it was sprinkled with truth to help lend credibility. We literally never grow up. Like, propaganda wars were literally uh-huh. schoolyard, like... Oh yeah, this is an old tactic. <laughs> Good. Great. Octavian was quick to point out that Mark Antony had humiliated and betrayed his sister in favor of the evil Egyptian queen. He accused Antony of being a man bewitched and beguiled, forsaking everything Rome stood for in order to live in sin with his eastern harlot. Live in sin. Mm-hmm. He's having fun, you motherfucker. Try it. <laughs> you might learn something and loosen up. <laughs> Antony's vainglory led him to declaring war on various eastern provinces without sanction from Rome, putting Rome. the Republic in the precarious position of having to fund his military exploits while the people at home continued to suffer. For his part... Mark Antony accused Octavian of self-aggrandizement, chastising him for throwing parties and dressing like a god while the citizens of Rome starved during a famine. So Octavian's god of choice was Apollo. So he called himself the new Apollo. No, you can't can't be the new Apollo unless you got the sun on your side, bitch. That's (laughs) not how this works. (laughs) Um, And indeed, Rome was suffering through another famine while Octavian drank and ate and partied to his heart's delight. Cool. Uh, but so did Mark Antony. Yeah. So it's just like you're accusing yeah, you're, you're, you're accusing him of this. Sir, you are projecting. Shit. But he was in a different area, Country. therefore. Yes. And the Roman it's gods couldn't different. see it. Yeah, yeah. yeah the Roman gods couldn't see it because <laughs> they're blind Rome. to everything but Rome. <laughs> Mark just... Antony also claimed that Octavian had cheated him out of land in Italy that had been promised to him. Octavian countered by suggesting Anthony could carve out all the land for himself that he wanted. Once he carved, or once he conquered Parthia. I thought you were going to say once he carved Cleopatra's heart. I was like, bye bye, Mark Anthony. It was nice knowing you. Just a nice little salt to the wound since he didn't conquer Parthia. That's rude. Okay. No one and their mother have conquered it, so you're fucking welcome. The insults (laughs) gradually became more vulgar and absurd. 
Mark Antony claimed that the only reason a nobody like Octavian could have been named as Caesar's heir is because he slept with his great uncle. <laughs> wow. That's... Remember, like, this Yeah, because is... he was, like, an obscure little no one, and then all well, of a sudden... Well, on top of that, this is what the Romans did to their political enemies. They were just like, yeah. incest! Incest all around. That's not literally the answer every time. But also some of the time. But also it is, but some of the time. A lot of the time, not. Yeah. <laughs> all insults led back to the main culprit of depravity, of course, and that was Cleopatra. Chief among Mark Antony's crimes was that he abandoned both Rome and a dutiful, perfect Roman wife for a lecherous and wanton Eastern harlot. Cleopatra's like, what the fuck? <laughs> She's just living her best life. She's like, I did nothing kingdom. but be awesome. You're fucking welcome. I'm sure she gets these like notices of like, oh, they're calling you a harlot again. She's like, yeah, that sounds about right. She checks off a box on her <laughs> list. Like, fuck yeah, I did it again. <laughs> now the second triumvirate officially expired at the end of 33 BCE, effectively ending whatever legal ties Octavian and Antony had to one another. Not long after, Octavian attempts to orchestrate a coup of the Senate, complete with armed guards. Oh my god. Mark Antony's supporters fled from Rome and intercepted him in Ephesus, where they reported on the increasingly volatile situation in Rome. At this point, Antony is gathering his allies together, calling upon the client kings and princes of the eastern provinces that had been under his jurisdiction. He also has Cleopatra with him at this point, and has named her as his co-general. Ooh, that pissed every, everyone's like seriously they're, they're literally telling you yes that your main thing is that you're sleeping with her and you go and do that that's like a fuck you yeah so funny story oh i love funny stories Continue. his senatorial allies um when they find him they plead with him to dismiss cleopatra from the campaign claiming her presence there only served to fan the flames back in rome and Mark Antony allegedly attempted to heed their counsel and even tried to order Cleopatra to return to Egypt. Oh, I bet there was a gnarly eyebrow raise from Cleopatra like, you want to tell him, come that, bring that by me again there, asshole? <laughs> yeah, so so they've always, it's always been alleged that they had a, a bit of like a tempestuous relationship Both or at least passionate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I don't think he ever really came face to face with this Cleopatra because she just completely faced him with the most unyielding presence yeah. she could muster and was like, no, uh, I'm not off. leaving. Yeah. <laughs> so Cleopatra's oh, reputation for being dogged and resolute probably had not been tested by Mark Antony up to this point, but he was about to find out. He's about to freaking run into that hard line. <laughs> most of Cleopatra's arguments were practical. Chief among them was the fact that it was her money that was funding this expedition. Yeah. Not to mention she had contributed nearly half of his naval fleet. Yeah, so it's half her fleet. This is literally like they're married and like they're yes. talking about the divorce. <laughs> and she's like, half that's mine. And his pride is like, no. <laughs> the Egyptians also made up the backbone of his navy. To dismiss her at this point would be demoralizing to nearly half of his naval troops. Yeah. And let us not forget that at this point in history, Cleopatra is the most powerful of the Eastern client kings. She's been successfully and capably ruling her kingdom for nearly 20 years arguably better than any other leader in Mark Antony's entourage. To dismiss her now would not only be insulting, but kind of dumb. Duh. <laughs> I mean, Mark Antony does have a track record, though. So. Yeah. So, you know. It just gets better. But she, all Cleopatra did was she stood there. She did a huge eyebrow 
eyebrow raise and she probably put the hand on women the womenly wild bitch and <laughs> wiggled her fingers and <laughs> hand on the hip yeah. eyebrow raise you like, want to say that to me again, again? mark antony <laughs> even mark antony's lieutenant canidius um sided with cleopatra pleading her case to antony uh, but if the roman sources are to be believed it's because she bribed him <laughs> Or because he's like, do you want to win? Because this is how we win. If you get rid of Cleopatra, that's how we lose. <laughs> In the end, it worked. Mark Antony was no match whatsoever for Cleopatra's iron will. She will remain with him on the campaign. They end up stopping for a brief reprieve in Athens, Greece, as Antony continued to consolidate his troops and move them into position. There's lots of lots more drinking and partying of course because it's mark antony of course of course <laughs> for Cleo i want to stop like just like a pit stop in athens let's go yeah let's do it can we just take a pit we'll stop go in athens, athens, and then... and then we'll go to alexandria okay that's yeah. perfect let's and do it. we'll just like who's know. gonna fund this <laughs> <laughs> who is funding our trip because we can't <laughs> for cleopatra it was the first time a ptolemy ruler had ever stepped foot in yeah in athens we hear more talk of partying and gift-giving and commissioned statues of Cleopatra popping up all over the city. Tales of decadence make their way back to Rome, with Octavian, of course, being happy to receive it because it's more fuel to his fire. Dear God, not the opulence and the decadence. Like, no! Now, How dare you have fun without me? That's what he's doing, actually. While they are in Athens, Mark Antony showers Cleopatra with several gifts. But one gift stands out above all the others. The wedding ring? Caesar had famously burned portions of the Library of Alexandria on still accident. Mad about it. Very mad about it. <laughs> to make up for this, Mark Antony gifted Cleopatra with the Library of Pergamum. Now, the Library of Pergamum was another large and immensely important library that was located in what is now modern-day Turkey. Yeah, it was considered second only to the Great Library of Alexandria and housed approximately 200,000 scrolls. For a woman like Cleopatra, who greatly valued all forms of scholarly pursuit, it would have been the equivalent of a diamond ring. And indeed, some sources suggest that it could have been a wedding present. Well, we don't know for sure. Oh. Because the whole thing, uh, at least with Roman weddings, I mean, let's throw, throw out the fact that he's technically still married. Um, <laughs> Romans aren't allowed to marry foreigners. So, okay. Yeah. So you're kind of fitting the herd, aren't you? <laughs> Now, the Romans would not have cared so much that Antony was cavorting with Cleopatra if he hadn't been so blatantly obvious and sentimental about it. So the Romans have this really weird thing where they hate public displays of affection. Oh, uh, my fucking God. I mean, me too, honestly. <laughs> but <laughs> So, for example, uh, Pompey, when he was still alive, he was famously ridiculed because he was just so openly in love with his own wife. How fucking dare you, Pompey? Men were, what the fuck's wrong with you? Men were not allowed to openly appreciate women. You can't just that's, do that. That's repulsive. What the fuck? It's disgusting. So is everything about Rome. <laughs> While conducting business in Athens, Cleopatra apparently sent Mark Antony little love notes that she had etched into Onyx tablets. And he'd receive them while sitting in on legal cases. And he'd always get this dumb little smile on his face. Oh, my God. Yeah, I was so, about to yell at you because you don't give me love notes. But you, you sent me TikTok videos. And that's pretty much the same thing. That's my love language. Yeah, we yeah, talked yeah. about this. Um, and he used to massage her feet in public. Wow. Now I'm mad, Rachel, because you have never massaged my feet in public. Would you like me to? No, I don't want you to touch my feet. <laughs> 
I don't want to touch your feet either. You. I have no problem with other people having <clears throat> a foot fetish, but I am not one of them. It's not a foot fetish <laughs> if you rub people's feet. It's a foot fetish if you get turned on. Mm, good point. <laughs> well, not even because there's a there's a point in your foot. There's like a pressure point that it has. It's like directly connected to your sexual drive. Well, yeah, because um, in your brain, where the like nerves for the foot are, literally right next to your yeah. genitals, uh, yeah. nerves in your brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. It's just it's weird. It's like weird if you get like weird with it. Well, I mean, no so kink shaming here. Come I'm on, man. Kink shaming. I just I choose not to do it anyway. <laughs> it seems that Mark <sighs> Antony's devotion to Cleopatra grew exponentially while in Athens because. By May of 32 BCE, he officially divorced Octavia. Oh, shit! That's like war. So Octavian couldn't be happier. Octavia had been the flimsy band-aid for the relationship between Mark Antony and Octavian. And now all pretenses could be finally dropped. I'm um, sorry, but like, literally, how can you as a woman stand by and just be literally a band-aid for your brother and his fucking well, dumbass friend? On top of that, Mark Antony was an asshole. He... He sent Roman soldiers to their home and forced her out. What a dick. He wasn't even in the city. I'm like, why do you care? Because he has to. He He's doing it to rile. I yeah. guarantee you he's doing it to rile Octavia. It's just like, ugh, yeah. stupid. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's had such great decisions so far. The only good decision he's had is he's globbed on to Cleopatra. Yeah. <laughs> he had the ba- Battle of Philippi where he destroyed Brutus and Cassius. That was about it. He has two things. things. Yeah. Two (laughs) One thing that the Romans care about. Yeah. (laughs) So just as Caesar and Pompey's relationship had soured when Caesar's sister died, so too did the last threads of Octavian and Mark Antony's relationship unravel following the divorce, and a new civil war was brewing. Mark Antony's allies back in Rome were increasingly concerned by his absence as Octavian was given free reign to annihilate Antony's reputation. Yeah. They even dispatch Mark Antony's friend Geminius to Athens in hopes that he can talk some sense into Mark Antony <laughs> and get him to send Cleopatra back to Egypt. Geminius is like, please don't send Antony's home, please. Like any other one? I Actually, you. no, he was completely the opposite. Uh-oh. So... The sources recall this hilarious dinner scene where like, Cleopatra knows exactly why he's there. Yeah. So she seats him at the far end of the banquet hall She's with like, like over there, bitch. All of the servants <laughs> and the non-important people. And the whole time she's just making these sarcastic and snide remarks to him. And finally, she challenged him to speak plainly um, of his purpose in Athens. Yeah, go ahead. Speak up. <laughs> Geminius answered soberly that they would all be better off if, if Cleopatra was sent back to Egypt. Now Mark Antony threw a huge fit, but, Cleo- right. but Cleopatra thanked Geminius for his honesty. She said that he had saved her from having to torture the information out of oh, him. Oh, fuck yes. Oh my god. <laughs> and Geminius is just like, face pale, all the blood is now drained from my flees. face. He flees yeah, yeah. back to Rome a few days later. Yeah, the eyes go wide, <laughs> all the blood drains from his face, and he's just like... I need to the bathroom. He's like, I will I just wait here for will be me. right back. Five minutes. Pass. Don't move. Pass. I promise. I, mean, I will don't be right back. Because that would be weird. But like, just stay here. <laughs> if I'm not back in five minutes, just wait longer. Don't worry about <laughs> it. It's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's great. So many fetch my horse. <laughs> Geminius wasn't the only ally to deflect from Mark Antony's cause. Another of Antony's courtiers, 
also fled to Rome and magically produced Mark Antony's will for Octavian. Of course the fuck they did. <gasps> Is it just Cleopatra in it? Yeah, so basically the contents, um, they suggested that were Mark Antony to die, he wanted his body first displayed in the form of Rome, but eventually sent back to Cleopatra in Egypt. He wanted to be buried in Egypt, not Rome. I, I actually believe that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. So it's it was a huge faux pas to basically read a person's will when they're not dead. Yeah, that's like bad karma. And he's bad juju. He had it stolen from the Vestal Virgin Temple. So Rome was like, no, was like, like the you fuck can't are you do doing? that. But the moment he read the contents, they were like, oh, okay, you can do that. <laughs> Curiously enough, no one else ever read the contents of that will, just Octavian. So, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Sure, Jen. Now, um, pause for five seconds. The kids are destroying so many letters. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> now, Octavian suddenly produced a litany of evidence against Mark Antony to suggest that he was going down the same road of vainglory that had destroyed Julius Caesar. It didn't destroy Julius Caesar. Brutus and all the dumbasses <laughs> destroyed Brutus Caesar. Brutus Caesar? Julius Caesar with 23 stab wounds. But who are we? Who are we to talk? <laughs> Mark Antony was becoming a power-crazed tyrant with aspirations of creating a monarchy in Rome. I don't think I think he was just no yeah okay go ahead he wanted to be a king and already wrapped himself in the trappings of kinghood over in the east I love how like no. they're going to accuse I know each other it's just of the insane. same exact thing it's because just insane Octavian is doing the same thing he's oh, yeah. just a little more subtle about it he's a little it. more tactful about it meanwhile Mark Antony's like look at my sexy head <laughs> Now, As I would also be like, look at her. <laughs> Octavian's speeches to the Senate are where we get all the tales of decadence, depravity, and sorcery. Cleopatra, once again, sorcery. becomes the convenient scapegoat for a man's megalomania. Mark Antony had been corrupted by Egypt and its queen. He was irredeemable and getting a bit too big for his britches. Something <laughs> had to be done. I love that phrase. Too big for his britches. So get new britches. <laughs> As his love for Cleopatra became more ardent, he resolved to make war upon his own country, the sources wrote. No, I'm pretty sure his own country, <laughs> Octavian, is making war on him. Another it's chronicler thing. wrote that Mark Antony gave not a thought to honor, but became the Egyptian woman's slave. He was not even a master of himself. That sounds like fun. Why are we... Why are we uh... King shaming? Yeah, yeah, what the fuck, guys? That sounds like fun. It was bad enough that Mark Antony had ambitions of kinghood, but his chief crime had been that he was bewitched by a woman. The only thing worse than a man ruling all of Rome by himself was the idea of a woman ruling all of Rome through Beside a man. Him. Nope, through him. <laughs> no, fuck off. It's again, him. It's over him, let's be honest. She obviously wears the pants in this village. And how good old, good old Cassius Dio spells out the crime for us plainly. Oh, is it plainly? Let's hear this. For she so charmed and enthralled not only him, but all the rest who had an influence with him, that she conceived the hope of ruling even the Romans. Yeah, she's basically ruling you, let's be honest. <laughs> she's kicking your ass six ways to Sunday. And so Octavian painted a terrifying picture for the Senate. Cleopatra intended to make Rome a province of Egypt. Dun, dun, dun. Even at this point in history, it was already a tale as old as time. Men often fought wars over women. 
This was written about even in the ancient times. It was a popular subject of literature. The Romans would have been familiar with the Iliad. To them, Cleopatra was their Helen of Troy. Mark Antony was the foolish Paris that had fallen for a foreign queen, and Cleopatra was the harbinger of destruction for Rome. Except uh, there's one small difference is Cleopatra ain't married. Helena was married. That was the problem. Yeah, but I mean, Paris didn't care and did whatever he could to get her, and that's what they're saying Mark yeah. Antony's doing. He's saying, they're saying, you are destroying Rome because of this woman. Mark Antony's like, have you met her? Like, yeah, fuck, dude. <laughs> More than that, their relationship status was a subject of much speculation and debate. Um, we already mentioned Romans aren't allowed to marry foreigners, so the idea that he could have possibly married her was just not okay. Oh it was, again, an abomination. How dare you? Now, the irony was that over in Egypt, their official status was a non-issue. Cleopatra already had a co-ruler in her son, Caesarian. She had no need for a consort. Once Octavian had rallied the Senate against Mark Antony and Cleopatra, he officially declares war on Egypt. And he does this by donning a military cloak and launching a spear drenched in pig's blood in the uh, general direction of Egypt. <laughs> I really wish that everyone could see my face right now because, wow, that is some dramatic bullshit. <laughs> it was all theatrics, but the gauntlet had been thrown. Rome had officially declared war on Egypt. Yeah. Cleopatra's like, bring a bitch up, bitch. Now, care. the key thing to know here is that Octavian has named Cleopatra as the aggressor. No formal charges were listed out because she had never actually done anything wrong outside of parade around openly with a married man and name herself a goddess. She was cooperative whenever Rome called for aid, especially in the later years when she had allied herself with Antony. She answered summons and she refrained from forming any alliances with her neighbors. Rachel, you forgot. She also was witchery, passion, and <laughs> womanly wows. <laughs> Feminine wilds. Feminine wilds. <laughs> it's the same thing. Cleopatra <laughs> was essentially the perfect client king, and so the charges against her were deliberately vague. Mark Antony's crime was that he had allied himself with a foreigner against his home country. Octavian hedged his bets that Antony would remain with Cleopatra, and he was right. So he had Antony stripped of his consulship and all authority, affecting, effectively making him an exile. Now, despite having his authority officially stripped of him, Mark Antony was still a dangerous exile. Under his command were 500 warships, 19 legions, 10,000 cavalrymen, and one-third of the Senate still loyal to him. He also sent gold back to Rome in droves, more than likely provided by Cleopatra. The gold was for bribes. Yeah. yeah. So what... I feel like you said this and I'm totally just going to say it. Um, so what was their like official reason for reason for declaring war on Cleopatra? She's... It, there really, there really wasn't, wasn't one. Like, okay. That was the whole point. It was so vague. It's just like, I don't know. She's because people. we can. Yeah. She's yeah. she's destroying Rome. She, I guess... She's destroying Rome. From Egypt. She wants <laughs> to conquer Rome. That's basically what they I would think it's great probably be arguing. That they give... They literally give her the power they're trying to deny her when yeah. they do this. Like, they're literally giving her power by going to war with well, her. Octavian like, knows. Just because. like Octavian <laughs> knows it's between... Whoever lives between him and Mark Antony will rule yeah. in Rome. 
Yeah. He's just looking for a scapegoat. Yeah. No, but I'm just saying, like, they're literally, like, they're so afraid of women having power, and yet they're literally saying, you I have power by doing this. I don't know that Octavian's afraid of that, but he knows the Romans are, and that's yeah. his excuse that he's using. Yeah. I know. For Octavian. I'm, saying, I'm saying Romans yes. in general. I'm not well, saying yeah. Octavian. I'm just saying yeah. Romans in general do that all the time, where, like, they don't want women to have power, but everything they do against the woman just proves that she has power. Like, yeah. You guys just shut up. <laughs> now for the next couple of months, Mark Antony and Octavian will gather their forces and shout idle threats at one another from across the Adriatic Sea. So basically, oh my God. Mark Antony and Cleopatra and their forces are in Greece and then Octavian's in Rome and Italy. So yeah. it's literally yeah, right across from right. each other. Yeah. yeah. I could just see them um, sharing insults. Now okay. Cleopatra's there, more than likely annoyed that Mark Antony is stalling, because yeah. the longer he waits, the more money she pleads. Oh, yeah. Yep. It's not his money. Why should he care? Now, as Octavian prepares for war, he paints a sober picture. It was the very heart and soul of Rome that was at stake in the fight to come. Xenophobia ran rapid in his rhetoric. If Mark Antony prevailed, Rome could count on an influx of Eastern influences. The decadence and depravity of the East would wash away the stoic dignity of Rome. Oh, fuck off. I guess there's your Sorry. reason. Yeah. <laughs> so no reason still. <laughs> he claimed Cleopatra had conquered Mark Antony, and now she intended to conquer Rome itself. Octavian challenged his followers to stop her. They had a duty to uphold, and under no circumstances would they allow a woman to make herself equal to a man. That's a quote by Octavian. Oh my fucking god. Mm -hmm. I want to bring this fucker back to life. Fucking so you can bitch him. slap the shit out of him. And then be like, go back down. <laughs> he's only 5'7". Oh. He's oh, a he's short a little man. Bitty. He's an itty bitty. <laughs> I mean, he's as tall as you. He's a little taller than me. I'm 5'4". You're only 5'4"? Yeah. How the fuck do I not tower over you? I don't know. Oh. I probably just appear taller because of my posture. I'm like 4 inches taller than you. Yeah. I knew that. I would actually be four inches taller if my spine was straight. That makes sense. Isn't that crazy? Fucking spine. <laughs> <laughs> now, That's actually really crazy. <laughs> Jesus. Octavian's chief lieutenant and bestie, Agrippa, ends up surprising bestie. Antony and Cleopatra by crossing over to Greece and swiftly commandeering one of Antony's southern bases. This move had been unexpected and disoriented Antony. Octavian took advantage by moving 80,000 troops into Greece. Antony was still waiting on all of his men to arrive, and so he continued to stall. Petty squabbles and skirmishes occurred all along the coast of Greece, but nothing substantial happened for weeks. And so, Octavian's army harried Antony's supply lines, hoping to disrupt them to the point of demoralizing Mark Antony's troops. And it worked, and that's exactly what he does. As time went by, Mark Antony's allies grew more disenchanted by Cleopatra's presence. Tensions quickly escalated within the camp, not only between Mark Antony and Cleopatra, but between Cleopatra and Antony's generals as well. It got so bad that one of Mark Antony's most trusted advisors, Gnaeus Domitius Enobarbus, defected to Octavian's side in a small rowboat. Now, Enobarbus was another notorious flip-flopper. That he, sounds really familiar. We've brought the name up okay. a couple of times, and it was also, it's just another Roman name. Yeah. It was in the Agrippina episodes, too. Gotcha. He'd been implicated as one of Julius Caesar's conspirators and even fought against Mark Antony at the Battle of Philippi. But the two had reconciled after the battle, and Enobarbus had become one of his most respected allies. Enobarbus. I can't even... <laughs> 
take you seriously when you say names like that to me. The deflection had been a huge blow to Mark Antony's morale. Yeah, you know, Barbus was the name of Agrippina's husband. It was in his name, and it was also part of Nero's name. That's where we heard uh, it. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Now, Cleopatra did not help matters. She seemed to have adopted some of Julius Caesar's obstinate at this point, refusing to make allies of the men that were closest to Mark Antony. It's likely that Cleopatra felt she had too much at stake to make friends at this point. Yeah. Octavian had declared war on her and her alone, and Cleopatra was proud. The Ptolemaic kingdom was at stake at this point, as was her own life. And then there was the matter of Mark Antony. He had already spectacularly botched his campaign in Parthia. She may very well have believed herself to be a better commander than Antony, or at the very least, she was reluctant to leave the whole thing entirely to him. I feel like she's proven that she is better commander than him, but... So she's not really a warrior queen. Yeah. She's just very strategic, and she's very scrappy. As soon as it seems like something's going to happen to her, she was quick thinking. Yeah. And turned it to her advantage. Yeah. I like it. She's smart. Smarter than everyone around her. Now, to make matters worse, an epidemic struck the camp. Um, The sources think it was malaria. So the already terrible conditions of the camp were rendered nearly intolerable, and it was like this for months, with more and more of Mark Antony's troops abandoning the campaign and pretty much just rowing their way over to Octavian. That's insane. That sucks. Yes. (laughs) That, That would be the shittiest way to lose a war is, like, you're literally the conditions of your camp made it so that your people were like, fuck this and then left. Yes. But the whole point here is that when they had started, Mark Antony had enough troops. Like he was still waiting for everyone to come, but he had enough that he could have started. Yeah. And he kept stalling for whatever reason. He was a shitty commander. (laughs) Most like the book I was reading was saying most generals know like, they're good generals because they understand the importance of timing. Yeah. Mark Antony didn't. Yep. <laughs> well, you said in the last episode or the one before that, I can't remember, but you you said that he wasn't really, like, he had He was charming, but he, he lacked wasn't a discipline. military, like, yeah. 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 Now, eventually, Mark Antony was forced to action. Octavian's naval blockade was fast depleting his troops of all its resources, and he needed to act fast. Mark Antony was presented with two options. Cleopatra suggested that they take the fight to Octavian via the sea. Mark Antony's chief lieutenant, this was Canidius, mm-hmm. argued that they fight over land. Roman soldiers were used to fighting on land. The discipline and skill of the Roman legions was renowned around the known world, but only when they were on land. That was his argument. Most Roman soldiers couldn't even swim. Oh. Cleopatra's argument was simple. Her strength was in her ships, and if Mark Antony's Roman legions were at a disadvantage at sea, so were Octavian's. Mark Antony ends up deciding to conduct the battle over water, and so, off the western coast of Greece, outside of a city named Actium, Mark Antony's forces pressed forward. Um, and we'll try to remember she to include a map. this map. Yes. But you basically have Mark Antony's ships out front. Yeah. Cleopatra's ships are behind him in the reserve. She's not expected to actually fight herself. Okay. And then Octavian's ships are blocking them in. Oh. You'll also notice just how close their camps are. Like wow. their land camps. 
Yeah. He, he, they were trapped. Wow, that sucks. <laughs> so this battle is called the Battle of Actium, but the naval battle itself is relatively anticlimactic. When Octavian, again, history is written by the victors. Yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Octavian. Um, when he writes about this battle, he makes it out to be this huge engagement. Yeah. It's not, as we're going to find out. Oh, no. So Mark Antony pressed his forces forward against Octavian, but it seems as though he and Cleopatra planned to ditch the unfavorable conditions of the battle altogether before it even started. As soon as favorable winds hit their sails, Cleopatra's flagship quickly fled with Mark Antony's ship following suit shortly thereafter. Wow. Antony still had 14 legions waiting for him back in Egypt. He was hoping to have the bulk of his forces flee the naval battle and regroup with the remaining legions in Egypt. It's not what happened, though. Oh, no. So, remember Quintus Delius? He was the dude that famously tried to sweet-talk Cleopatra. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, he was another notorious flip-flopper that had defected to Octavian's side, along with Anobarbus. And he passed along their flight plans to Octavian. So, he'd been waiting for this to happen. And as soon as he saw Cleopatra's ship flee, because, again, her ship had the purple sails. Yeah. He made, um, he and, like, some light-weighted freighters immediately made a beeline for them. Yep. That's why you don't call yourself out. (laughs) Before the battle had begun, Cleopatra moved the bulk of her treasure and money that had been brought along to help fund the expedition to her large flagship. And Octavian wanted that gold, not just for himself, but for his legions as well. Soldiers need to get paid after all. Oh, yeah. At some point, Mark Antony also ends up catching up with Cleopatra and boards the ship. He doesn't seek her out, though, evidently, out of shame for leading such a spectacular failure. Oh, no. Only a few ships had broken free of the blockade. The bulk of his army was left behind, and whether this was deliberate or accidental, we still aren't fully sure. From what we understand of Mark Antony's plans, he had intended for the whole of the fleet to basically flee back on land... Yeah. And then kind of circle around to Egypt oh, okay. to meet up with him. But he still felt bad for leaving them behind. Yeah. Then, as he fucking should. <laughs> yeah, as he's going to find out, basically, his men on the ships, the generals didn't relay the information to them. So they just saw Mark Antony fleeing. And oh, so no. some of them defected. Others who loved him because he was a loved general for yeah. whatever his flaws were, they went down with the ship and oh, they no. were killed. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. I run into that constantly where I work. Not obviously to that degree, but like, <laughs> so I have, you know, supervisors and then mm-hmm. my district commander. And yeah. it, we give information to the six supervisors and they're supposed to funnel it out to their people. Never. We Never give them supplies yeah. to funnel out to their people. And then I walk in these supervisors' offices and there's still supplies there. And I'm like, what the fuck? Anyway, that's a well, random tangent. That's what happened. I know. I know your pain, dude. I know your pain. <laughs> so the battle had raged on for several hours after the flight. Um, but Mark Antony's horses were inevitably destroyed and they lost. Oh, Jesus. Badly. They lost badly. They lost very badly. Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't even like a dignified loss. That was... There were tales of like men's bodies floating up to the shore. And of course, because the Roman sources wrote about it, they said they were like wrapped in the purple sails at the east. 
for kind of dramatic flair. I like that yeah. flair, honestly. <laughs> but that's really sad. Like, oh, Jesus. When Mark Antony delivered the devastating news to the few men that remained with him, he is said to have tried to send them off with gold and silver, but his men refused him out of affection and a sign of their loyalty. And so Mark Antony pledged instead, with tears in his eyes, that he would hide them away and protect them until his surrender could be negotiated with Octavian. Well, fuck off. I just kind of (laughs) liked Mark Antony a lot right there. (laughs) Now, from this point, Mark Antony and Cleopatra part ways for a bit, Mark Mark Antony flees to the northern coast of Libya, where he's said to just kind of wander around in a depressed and drunken stupor. That sounds right. Cleopatra, in perhaps the most absurd but fantastically brilliant move ever, returned to Alexandria with her ship covered in garlands and flowers and an orchestra that played songs of victory and triumph. Uh, That's a lot. Music and elaborate floral arrangements broadcasted their queen's false victory. Cleopatra knew the power of optics. The Alexandrians had not seen the disaster of the Battle of Actium. They're gonna hear about it. Only she could herald victory or defeat, and she she chose to go with the former. No, because now your people are gonna hate you for lying. It's always better to be honest. Sorry. So Cleopatra (laughs) knew the cost of defeat. Her failure would be an excuse for the Alexandrian nobility to accuse her of delivering Egypt into Rome's hands. It would undoubtedly lead to another riot. Once she made landfall, Cleopatra acted fast and preemptively. It would not be long before Octavian came to collect on his victory. She knew her ruse had a short expiration date. And so, she immediately sought out her most vocal detractors and went on another killing spree confiscating their gold and money in the process. She'll use this money to raise another hasty new fleet. Her intent had been to flee Egypt and find sanctuary with her allies in the east, but by this point Cleopatra had made too many enemies. When her fleet attempted to cross the Red Sea and made landfall in the southern Levant, so this, um, that includes modern-day Israel, Palestine, and Jordan, Mm -hmm. the Roman, um, Nebedian tribes set fire to her ship. That's problematic. Yeah. Well, so remember how I said she made enemies in the East? Mm -hmm. She had orchestrated um, conflict between King Herod and these tribes. Oh. So. I mean, did King Herod really need that much of a nudge? No. Yeah. (laughs) Cats are throwing their little bodies around (laughs) in my room right now. Like, that's all I'm hearing. So. Speaking of our old friend, King Herod, oh, yes. uh, he at this point has also deflected to Octavian's side. And he makes a point of saying that he was a loyal servant and would still have been fighting for Mark Antony if not for the insufferable Egyptian queen at his side. Oh, bitch, please. <laughs> Octavian gladly accepted this new ally and then sent him away with more Roman troops in the event that Cleopatra tried to bring troops into Egypt from the east. Oh, gosh. So Herod does just that. Any petty kings and princes Cleopatra treats with and manages to convince to send troops to Egypt are immediately stopped the moment they get to Syria. Mark Antony continued to wander northern Africa in a depressed stupor and even attempts suicide at one point. Oh, no. Then, like, he has a few friends with him. They send him back to Alexandria. Yeah, they're like, please just go back. (laughs) You're fine. (laughs) For her part, Cleopatra continued to put feelers out towards the west now, looking to Spain to escape. She was not a woman to accept defeat easily or dwell upon her failures. 
She is also experimenting with poisons at this point, oh, no. trying to find the most potent but least painful of combinations. Oh, shit. Cleopatra knew it was up to her to figure out a way out of this mess. Mark Antony himself had become a broken man. After his attempted suicide, he returned to Alexandria, where he built a small hut next to the lighthouse of Alexandria. He's said to have spent his final days staring out across the vast sea, contemplating his spectacular failure as a man. Jesus Christ, that's really aggressive. That was my added. I like it. No, I like yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, the only reason he failed is because he didn't, he, w- he was like stuck between, you know, he had one foot in Rome and one foot in with Cleopatra. Yeah. And couldn't make a decision. And he was just couldn't make a decision ever like really he just wasn't decisive enough yeah now somewhere along the way cleopatra and mark antony seemed to have seen the writing on the wall cleopatra made arrangements for caesarean to officially be recognized as her successor and the next sole ruler of egypt he was 16 now and of military age all of your problems on your 16 year old child (laughs) jesus mark antony's Eldest son, Antilius, was also living in Alexandria at the time, and he's officially recognized as Mark Antony's successor and heir. Now, envoys were traveling back and forth between Alexandria and Rome at this point. Cleopatra wrote to Octavian herself, promising that she would surrender herself if Octavian agreed to recognize Caesarion as her successor and promised that he would not annex Egypt into the Roman Republic. Wow, that's okay. I take back everything I just said. Fine. (laughs) Octavian denounced her publicly, but privately wrote her a letter promising that her terms would be accepted if she agreed to assassinate Mark Antony. Oh, wow. She refuses. The final envoy from Octavian evidently delivered her an interesting request. We're told by Plutarch and Cassius Dio that the envoy chosen was a man especially known for his charisma and charm. If we're to believe the stories, the intent might have been to try and seduce Cleopatra of all people, and potentially even for Octavian's sake. Oh, Jesus. But the envoy failed, if only because Mark Antony was said to have grown jealous by how much time he and Cleopatra had been cloistered alone together. Wait, I thought Mark Antony was sitting on the shore staring out at the sea. You can't touch his woman. But you're sitting on the shore <laughs> staring out at the sea, and you haven't done anything to make really make her your woman. But maybe by her bride gift. He then has, okay, a bride gift? He gives her a freaking library. Fine. Um, so Mark Antony had this envoy whipped before sent back to Octavian. Jesus, that's aggressive. With their refusal. Don't touch his woman. (laughs) Cleopatra's like, I could have done that, you know. I just chose not to. (laughs) Now, to her credit, Cleopatra stayed by Mark Antony this whole time. She evidently doted on him. When her 38th birthday rolled around, it had been a sober affair. But when his 53rd birthday came around, she spared no expense on the food, alcohol, and entertainment. Oh, I forgot the age difference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, at this point, it's whatever. Yeah. I would argue that these stories lend credit to the idea that Cleopatra did truly care for Mark Antony. Oh, yeah. She could have just as easily killed him at any point and saved herself a lot of trouble, but yeah. she chose not to. In the meantime, she continues to experiment with her poisons. With the intent to use it on herself? Or Mark, no, because she just refused to well, kill Mark Well, that's Antony. the question, isn't it? I'm asking it right now. 
Well, you're going to find out. I want the answer now. I can't spoil oh it for you. Oh my god, you just spoiled the fact that Octavia won one before he even won. Well, if you know anything okay. about history, <laughs> come on, man. I'm not going to tell you what happens with the poison, okay? Just listen. It's fine. I'm listening. Everything's fine. In the spring of 30 BCE, Octavian officially began his invasion of Egypt. Before entering the eastern frontier, he was gifted with fresh provisions from King Herod of Phoenicia. <laughs> oh yeah, he's a uh, he's all too happy to help Go anyone fuck yourself. that wants to take on Cleopatra. Yeah, because he point. fucking lost in a big way to her through words alone. Octavian's first conquest was the city of Pelusium, but he took it he took it bloodlessly. The Roman sources suggest Cleopatra may have been double dealing with Octavian at this point. We do know that envoys continued to go back and forth between the two camps, but a rudimentary understanding would suggest that she was doing what she could to save her own skin and people, but modern interpretations of these events suggest she was simply trying to preserve her dynasty and her country. Yeah. For her so she was like, look, I'm going to instruct this city not to fight you. I'm willing to cooperate. I just want to make sure my dynasty continues. Yeah. You can do what you want with me. I don't like that. Yeah. Cleopatra had asked the citizens of Alexandria not to resist the legions Octavian had mobilized. Likely she was trying to avoid bloodshed, but some people speculate she still believed she could potentially negotiate with Octavian. Can you imagine how terrifying that would be, honestly? Like Yeah. She's yeah, she's she's staring down. For the her and for the people. Right the people are like, you know, like look look up to you to Yeah. You know, they them. thought you just won a battle. Yeah. And then she's like Maybe she'll. Like, <laughs> yeah. Maybe just don't do anything rash. So as Octavian is getting closer to Alexandria, Cleopatra is basically working to complete her mausoleum. Um, oh my God. It, it had been in the works for some time. Yeah, but still, when you yeah. ramp up that work, you know yes. something's about to happen. <laughs> Everyone's like, do you know something that we do not? She even had her treasure moved to the tomb that included chests of gold, cinnamon, frankincense, paintings, robes, and jewelry. Really makes me happy that cinnamon and frankincense is treasure. Makes me so happy. Yes. (laughs) Um, For those of you who don't know, the Egyptians believe that they would take anything that was buried with them into the afterlife. Yeah, that's why it's fucked when we dig them up and take everything from them. And then their bodies. So we don't even stop there. So she Mm -hmm. was likely preparing for the inevitable should her negotiations go south. Kindling was also stacked high in the tomb so that if she disappeared, her servants understood that they were to set the mausoleum and her treasure on fire. So basically, she's not taking any chances. If Octavian wants her gold, he is going to have to treat with her. From this point on, the tragedy of Cleopatra and Mark Antony tailspins into one of theatrical melodrama. Oh no. You mean there hasn't been theatrical melodrama so far, Rachel? No. Oh, no. (laughs) As you're going to find out. Oh, dear. (laughs) So Octavian reached Alexandria by July 31st of 30 BCE and set up camp just outside the city. This is when Mark Antony comes back into the story. He evidently got his groove back just long enough to rally what few soldiers remained to him to harry the oncoming legions, and he even succeeds just enough to like send them back to their he camp. He literally has bursts of usefulness. Like <laughs> unfortunately, oh, in spite of all of that, several of his soldiers still deflect to Octavian's side <laughs> anyway. Then Mark Antony, is it deflect or is it defect? 
I think it's defect. Oh, you're right. Because yeah. deflect is, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Defect. Sorry. No, no, you're right. Thank you. <laughs> I've, been, I've been sitting on that for like some time. Cause I'm like oh, in my head. No, I wasn't sure. I was like, is it there? Is it deflect or is it defect? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh, hi jazz. What are you, what's your, uh, what's your say? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for responding. That was very good. Time. Mark Antony's last military move will be to, to take what little remnants of his Navy remained. And so Octavian had his land forces, but he also had some forces in the Harbor. Yeah. He sets his Navy up to go against Octavian, but they too. No, they're like, yeah, we're going to go against him. Everyone leaves. (laughs) Literally every single boat goes over. Oh man, you just went down without any dignity. You lost it all. So he, when he, when he returns to Alexandria, he is a broken man. Oh my god. He's he already defeated, pretty broken. And he's enraged. And he's convinced that Cleopatra had orchestrated this whole thing. Are you fucking kidding yeah, me? He's like, he's like, Cleopatra betrayed me. Where is she? And she refuses to treat with him. Yeah, think, because she's like, how about you calm the fuck down yeah. first? And then I'll talk to you when you're like a little less dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> you did this to yourself. <laughs> so as Octavian entered the city to claim his prize, smug and triumphant, Cleopatra and her servants retreated to her mausoleum, and there she had panels put in place as a barricade to prevent anyone from entering. Oh my gosh. She then has one of her servants deliver a note to Mark Antony to inform him of her death. <gasps> Again, the Roman sources claim that this was all part of her treachery, some going so far as to suggest that she had no intention of dying herself, but saw no other way of ridding herself of him without pretending to die first. She literally had a fucking out earlier and she declined it, assholes. Come on. <laughs> Others suggest that she wished only to put him out of his misery and this was the only way she could think that he would do it if he thought she had died. Yeah, that makes sense. Either way, when Antony learned of her death, he was devastated and Plutarch writes a harrowing soliloquy for Mark Antony. Oh, Cleopatra, I am not distressed to have lost you, for I shall straightaway join you, but I am grieved that a commander as great as I should be found to be inferior to a woman in courage. Ooh, I love that. Sorry. (laughs) He then instructed his attendant, Eros, to drive a blade through him, but Eros took the sword and stabbed himself instead with it, his affection for his general, too great to do the deed himself. Holy shit, you were kidding. It's very dramatic. That left Mark Antony to pick up the sword himself. Do something for once in your life. And even in his attempted suicide, he managed to botch the deed because he stabbed his ribs instead of his heart. When he pleaded with the few men that remained with him to finish the job. They literally took, they're like, they also fled. Oh shit. (laughs) This poor fucker. Like you cannot have a worse death. Even if you tried, like, These events caused the Alexandrians to stir and cry out in mourning, which Cleopatra was too curious to ignore. Oh, God damn it. When the queen appeared at a window in her mausoleum, the city rejoiced to see her alive. And then word reached a still bleeding out Mark Antony. Oh, no. That she was alive as well. And so he pleaded with his servants to carry him to her. His limp, bloody body was attached to ropes and pulleys to lift him up to her window. 
And Plutarch, and Plutarch observes in his writings that a very pitiful Mark Antony reached out towards Cleopatra with outstretched arms even then. Oh my God. Wow. Once, once inside the mausoleum, we are given a colorful picture of a queen known for her composure, completely losing her shit. She tears at her own robes in agony, clawing at her chest and face, and crying miserably over her dying lover. Jesus. She is devastated and nearly broken herself. I think that fucking, like, solidifies any doubt that she yeah. loved him. I'm thinking we're all on the same page now. But also, who has a fucking window in a mausoleum? <laughs> She wants to see Who the, the world. Who the fuck has a window? You're not going to see it. She wants to see the ocean, okay? She's going to die. <laughs> oh, in his God. final moments, in true Dionysus form. He's literally not dead yet is what I meant. <laughs> he calls for a final glass of wine. <laughs> and Mark Antony is said to tell Cleopatra to think only of herself now and to cooperate with Octavian as best as she could. She was not to pity him either. He had lived a glorious life. And now he got to look on her face one last time. I love how even she doesn't kill him. Like, she doesn't finish him off at end of suffering. She's like, yeah, you suffer for a bit longer. <laughs> and then Mark Antony died in Cleopatra's arms. So, one of the uh, most popular Renaissance paintings is of this moment where Mark Antony dies in her arms. That's beautiful. Yeah. I've, I don't think I've ever seen that, though. Well, I'll... You'll post it. I, I will, yeah. You'll send it to me and I'll post it. I know. <laughs> yeah, or you'll send it to me and then I will be like, yeah, I'll post it. And then you're like, did you post it? I'm like, yeah, I'm in training. <laughs> <laughs> now, when Octavian learned of Mark Antony's death, he dispatched a man by the name of Gaius Proculius to retrieve Cleopatra. Octavian intended on taking Cleopatra alive so that he could parade her around in the Egyptian triumph he was already Ew, planning just, for Rome. <sighs> Sorry. He also wanted to make sure that the treasure she had hidden away in her mausoleum did not go up in flames. Like, how gross of a man do you have to be? To be like, fetch me that bitch so that I can parade her around because I'm What's wrong with that? Why so, would that be problematic? No, Rachel, there are so many things wrong that we don't have time for this. Is that the 15 pages you cut? <laughs> Proculius had been hoping to negotiate with Cleopatra in person, but he was forced to negotiate instead from the opposite side of the bolted Sounds door like of her the mausoleum. Name of a calculator. <laughs> Proculius. Listen, they're Roman. I don't know what to Jesus. tell you. I had to practice that name so many times. Uh -oh. You don't even you did, know. You did great. <laughs> so he's on he's he's trying to negotiate through the mausoleum door. Yes. The fucking <laughs> mausoleum door. Let's let's say it one more time. The negotiations. The door! Sorry. <laughs> negotiations continued for days. Oh Jesus! With Cleopatra's chief requests being that her three children by Mark Antony be allowed to rule Egypt when she was gone. She knows at this point that Octavian that's is. A... Oh, Caesarian. Octavian's never going to agree to Caesarian ruling, and Caesarian is out of the city at this point. But his whole thing is against mark antony okay but he's also Union. julius caesar's heir and he oh, yeah. can't have little caesar <laughs> that's what <laughs> no! Yes. oh no no every time you say so sorry i'm thinking well the pizza pizza the guy pizza. Pizza, pizza. You can't have little Caesar oh, running around. I just, I just want you to appreciate the fact that I went under your tattoo to hit Thank your you. arm. I, I do appreciate. It. I almost just set your tattoo real early. Proculius def deflected. I used it right that time. Proculius. I'm, I was so distracted by the calculator that I couldn't. 
he refused to honor any of her requests verbally. Um, he would only say that. That you, sounds like a setup. You can trust Octavian. Can I, I promise you can you can trust him. Can I? Uh, but Cleopatra here, drink this wine. <laughs> Cleopatra refused to budge because she did not trust Octavian. No. This back and forth goes on for a while, um, until Proculius and two servants decide to scale the mausoleum and enter through the window Mark Antony had gone Stop! This is why you don't have a fucking window in a mausoleum. <laughs> And they sneak up on Cleopatra. Um, no. The moment she sees them, she attempts to stab herself with a dagger, but oh. Proculius stops her. Fucking Proculius, you goddamn calculator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I just can't get over that name. He then proceeds to frisk her down and what? confiscate any other objects she may have intended for her suicide, most likely poisons. She's like, go ahead and drink this wine real quick for me. Thank you. <laughs> Now, Proculius tells Cleopatra at this point that she does both herself and Octavian a disservice by trying to kill herself. Octavian is a gentle and kind friend. He is honorable and would never renege on a promise. I'm fucking sorry. She, the same guy who wants to parade me around in his triumphal trust, fucking thing? She can trust him. I promise. You know what? Honest. Bring me to Octavian real quick. <laughs> Don't worry about this glass of wine that I have. <laughs> Um, I want to offer him a what's this thing that we do? Come together with ingredients. A truce? Yeah, a truce wine. <laughs> truce she says, wine. why couldn't I think it? It's really funny, guys. <laughs> it's not though. So at this point, Cleopatra's treasures are confiscated and Neat. Octavian installs one of his freedmen at her side to ensure that she does not attempt to harm herself again. She's like, can you just look the other way for like five There is something just so wrong about the fact that they're not letting Cleopatra kill herself because they want to parade her That's around disgusting. in a victory parade. Like, yeah, disgusting doesn't even begin to cover it. There's, God, that's so gross. Like, I just, I'm angry right now. I know, you're about to get angrier. <laughs> oh, no. Not long after, she asked permission of Octavian to give Mark Antony a burial befitting his rank why why am i struggling with that word whatever i'm not entirely sure but it's fine you did great (laughs) he does um he does grant her the request but the kind of ceremony she intended to put on involved a ritualistic form of mourning that involved wailing and crying and scratching at her own skin knowing cleopatra she performed this task very well and she performed it so well that she actually made herself sick Oh no. And then she starts fasting and refusing any food or drink. Isn't that isn't that an actual like Yeah, it's an actual thing. Yeah, like the wailing and the keening in front of your yeah. your dead spouse or your dead like it comes whatever from here. I mean I'm sure it comes from like ancient Greek yeah. times. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I'm, I feel like it exists in multiple yeah. cultures. We'll, we'll look it up. And then we won't say anything. But yeah, we yeah, will we look it up. You guys look it up. You know how to use the Googles. Um Octavian quickly figured out what she was attempting to do, and so he sends a warning to her that if she refuses to cooperate, he will it murder must. her children. God fucking damn it. This guy cannot cannot get worse, and then he does it. I'm like, I kind of am impressed with your nasty evilness, and it just keeps <laughs> getting worse. That's the only thing I'm impressed about by you. Octavian and Cleopatra more than likely never met face-to-face prior to his invasion of Egypt. When they He's finally... got such a hard on for her, and he hasn't even met her. No, he doesn't. Not like for her, but like to get her, yeah. to get to her. You know what I mean. <laughs> so when they finally do meet face to face, 
it is following her failed attempt to starve herself. And there are several different accounts from the Roman historians, each crafting a scene more suitable to their own biases. Like they're all wrong. <laughs> According to Plutarch, when Octavian finds Cleopatra, she is in a pitiful state. Her hair is disheveled and she's skinny to the bone, dressed only in a simple tunic. She looks nothing of the beautiful Ptolemaic queen said to have seduced and bewitched the greatest of Roman men. She instead appears humbled but dignified, contrite and apologetic. She even goes down to her knees before Octavian, throwing herself at his feet to plead for mercy. All the theatrics are gone. I don't believe it. Cassius Dio paints a completely different picture. His Cleopatra is perfectly coiffed and perfumed, decorated in the jewels and pearls she had come to be known for. She is regal and charming, unfazed by the fact that her city has been occupied and her life hangs in the balance. Cleopatra reminds him that his own adoptive father had loved her dearly. How could he be so cruel to someone that was so cherished by Julius Caesar? In Dio's version of events, Cleopatra resorts to the usual seduction tactics. She bats her eyelashes, plies him with smoldering looks and empty compliments. But Octavian is unmoved. Cleopatra has met the one man she cannot seduce. I feel like that guy probably wanted Cleopatra in his bed. Again, let me remind you, Octavian has written this narrative. Everything we have at this point comes from Octavian. She then tells Octavian plainly, I will not be led in a triumph, but Octavian refused to even make eye contact with her. Because he's terrified. Realizing her efforts are moot, Cleopatra tosses herself at his feet once more and begs for mercy. It is the only thing that Plutarch and Dio's stories have in common. We're told by Plutarch that she manages to inspire great sympathy in one of Octavian's allies named Cornelius Dolabella. Completely different Dolabella. (laughs) He ends up sneaking her a letter that informs her of Octavian's plans to return to Rome in three days with Cleopatra and her three children. Octavian had promised Cleopatra that he would treat her kindly and in accordance with her station, but she now knows he lied, and there's no way Cleopatra will let herself be taken out of the city of Alexandria and back to Rome. She knows what happened to her sister Arsinoe. It involved golden chains. And a humiliating march down the streets of Rome. She didn't watch it happen. She just, she refused oh, no, to go. Right. She, yeah. 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 But still, that's, ugh. This was not a fate Cleopatra intended for herself. In the end, she convinces Octavian to allow her to visit Mark Antony one last time to make offerings. Upon arriving at his tomb, she delivers a plea to her dead lover to entreat with the gods to grant her mercy so that she may die in her beloved Alexandria, a free woman. When she returns to her mausoleum, Cleopatra dismisses her entire retinue, save for two servants named Iris and Charmian. After taking a bath, her two female servants dress her in formal ceremonial robes and deliver her ornaments of office. She then calls for a basket of figs to be delivered to her. The figs are shared with all her attendants, including her guards, before she takes the basket of figs herself. She then convinces the head of the guard to deliver a letter she has written to Octavian. In the letter, Cleopatra requests to be buried with her beloved Mark Antony. As soon as Octavian reads the letter, he realizes what is happening and dispatches more guards to check in on Cleopatra. The guards guards outside her mausoleum were completely unaware of what was going on. 
The men Octavian had dispatched bulldozed past them and forced their way inside the mausoleum, but they were too late. Cleopatra was found dead on August 10th, 30 BCE, lounging casually along a golden Egyptian couch. She was the picture of royalty and serenity, dressed in her finest robes and her ornaments of state gripped in both hands that were crossed over her chest. Iris was found near death at her feet, barely conscious. Only Charmian remained, and she was found groggy and stumbling as she attempted to straighten the diadem Cleopatra wore on her head. The guards chastised her for allowing Cleopatra to kill herself, and Charmian issued a tart reply. It is indeed most fine and befitting, the descendant of so many kings. We are told that Cleopatra's death was delivered to her in the form of an asp, which is the Egyptian cobra. The most colorful depictions of her death suggest that it had been smuggled into the basket of figs she had delivered to her, and that Cleopatra handled it herself as she let it bite her. It would be a fitting end for Cleopatra. The cobra was the official emblem of Egypt. However, most modern historians suggest that it's highly unlikely Cleopatra would have trusted her death to a snake. We know she was studying poisons for months leading up to her death trying to find that perfect blend of lethal and painless. And indeed, the doctors that arrived at the scene suggested it had been quick and she didn't suffer at all. Maybe she did a little bit of both. She had her quick and painless poison, but she still had the snake bite her for symbology. So it is more likely that she poisoned herself with either a drink, some have suggested hemlock, or a topical ointment. Others have suggested that she used a syringe and that the two maidservants followed suit. So nobody knows for sure, um, like, what the delivery was of the poison. Mm -hmm. There were some sources that say she had two puncture marks on her wrist. Mm. Could have been a syringe. Yeah. Could have been a snake. We we don't know. Two very different types of puncture marks. Not necessarily. Depends on how big the syringe was. Yeah. I, I still like to believe that she did a combination of both where she took the poison. But in she the also movies, in, in any movie you see of Cleopatra, it's always she's holding the cobra and it bites her neck. That's yeah. your chest, not your neck. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, her collarbone. Yeah. Yeah, like right above it. Oof. Whatever the delivery. Oh, really close to the heart, too. Yes. <laughs> Whatever the delivery, the snake is what survives us to this day. And it is probably not a coincidence when you consider the symbolism attached to snakes. She even had symbolism in her death. I believe it. In the Bible, it is a snake that tempts Eve in the Garden of Eden. In Greek mythology, the beautiful Medusa is raped in the Temple of Athena and punished when she is turned into a hag with snakes for hair and a gaze that turns men to stone. Snakes are often associated with scheming and mischievous women slithering about in places they are unwanted and whispering in the ears of impressionable men. Fuck off, snakes are beautiful. Cleopatra will go down in history as one of the wickedest women to ever exist. Dangerous because of her sexuality rather than her intelligence. She is remembered as the ultimate homewrecker and very little else. But let us not forget that she was a dogged scholar and a scrappy strategist. She had a finger in almost every pot in her kingdom. Chief among her talents was her ability to craft her own image in whatever liking she chose. She was a master of optics, deciding that queen was not a good enough title. Cleopatra had made her mind up to become a goddess, and that is exactly what she became to her people. Yes. 
That's all that matters. <laughs> ironically, it was only in death that Cleopatra earned Rome's respect. Evil sorceress, though she may be, none could deny her courage. Cleopatra had defied Rome even in death. She would not be cowed. Her death, like her life, had been crafted by her own hands. Hell yeah. She had been 39 years old. Ugh, that's terrible. Now, much happens after the death of Cleopatra. Egypt is officially annexed into Rome. Oh, no. And the Ptolemaic dynasty officially ended. The year of Cleopatra's death officially marks the end of the ancient era. And it starts the modern era. Wow. Yes. Cleopatra has sent... Talk about a goddamn goddess. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Sorry, she died It's sad, but also, damn. There's more. Cleopatra had sent Caesarion to the Red Sea to escape to India, but his tutor convinced him to turn around and at some point treat with Octavian. He betrayed him. When he returned to Alexandria, he was murdered by Octavian's men. God damn it. Caesarion was 17. Alexander Helios, Cleopatra Selene, and Ptolemy Philadelphus were taken to Rome and raised by Octavia, Mark Antony's wife. They were raised among her own children. Okay, fine. Yes. she. So, Mark Antony was a crappy husband. Octavia ends up raising all of his children by her, by Fulvia, and by Cleopatra. Damn. Okay, fine. I like her. Fine, Rachel. (laughs) Force it upon me. The two boys disappear into the obscurity of history, presumably to live quiet and uneventful lives. Cleopatra Selene is the only one that ends up with a relatively happy ending. Octavian marries her off to Juba II, another child that had been a political prisoner raised in Rome. They go on to rule in the kingdom of Maritania, which is in modern-day Algeria. Together, they ushered in a new renaissance of culture and art. Cleopatra Selene continued the cult of Isis, just as her mother had. Yes. And she named her son... Ptolemy. God fucking damn it. <laughs> now, the year Cleopatra died marks the official end of the Republic and the birth of the Roman Empire. Octavian becomes the first emperor of Rome. He renames himself Augustus. <laughs> What's the next month coming up? August? Ew. What? Ugh. It's named for Augustus. And the what? time of year... That August coincides with is the same time of year Alexandria fell to Octavian. That's why August is at the end of summer. Following the death of Cleopatra came a new dawn of female power and emancipation in Rome. Livia enjoyed unprecedented power and wealth as Octavian's wife and empress. Octavia had statues built of her, all used with Cleopatra's money. Women became bolder and began to step out from the domestic realm and into the public. More statues of women will join Cleopatra's in the forum. Eighty years later, Octavian's great-granddaughter will become perhaps the most powerful woman Rome has ever known as the wife of Emperor Claudius, renaming herself Agrippina Augusta. And for her part, Cleopatra's request was granted. Octavian allowed her to be buried with Mark Antony. To this day, her tomb has never been found. Yes! Victory! 
That's crazy. That is the story of Cleopatra. Yes. Damn. Right? Holy shit. I don't. I don't know. Okay. Which ending do you think is more epic? Cleopatra's or Agrippina's? Cleopatra's. Like, for sure. I don't know. Cleopatra. Agrippina throws her fucking robe aside and is like, smite my womb. Ah, uh, shit, you're right. <laughs> and she stares down a freaking centurion and is killed as a man would be. Yeah. But Cleopatra. But fucking Cleopatra. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, they both defied were defiant till the end so i mean damn (laughs) i just i just love that like excuse me octavian's whole thing was we can't have a woman rule rome and then his great granddaughter that's called karma yeah (laughs) at least the universe is like watch me bitch (laughs) if you haven't listened to the agrippina episodes go listen to them they're all about octavian's great granddaughter so insane yeah Fucking that's why Romans. i just again with the whole like all of this happened and like all of this went crazy because nobody wanted cleopatra to have all this power but then like literally right after she died all these women started like so getting power the other interesting thing is that you remember how i mentioned rome wasn't the rome we know it to be it didn't have all the like marble architecture yeah so after this point the irony is that Alexandria's influences do begin to blend into Rome because that's where you get a lot of the architecture. It's not yeah. just from Greece. It's also Alexandria. And then you also start to get like statues of snakes. Ooh, you I get Egyptian um, art that starts to appear in Rome. So that's kind of the Egyptian irony. Egyptian art is amazing. Yes. So beautiful. You get the sphinxes. You get the blending of... So the... The cult of Isis becomes the cult of Cleopatra, and it continues for like a couple Can hundred years. I don't think it exists anymore. Can we but if you start want it back to. up again, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Who wants to join us? Yeah. So that oh. is that's the legacy of Cleopatra, and okay. I would argue, ironically, like she's she's remembered as like this great villainess. Did you know who Augustus was? No. Exactly. Fuck him. Her name survives yeah. more so than his does. Also karma, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> unless you're unless you're like a historian, then you know his name because yeah. he's the first emperor of Rome. Yeah. They I, mean, I only knew his name because you told me and then because Chris was yeah. obsessed with Roman yeah. history. So <laughs> they weren't actually um they didn't style themselves as emperors. That's just what we call them. Oh. They styled themselves as princeps. Oh, yeah. And um, they still were like, they made sure to avoid the title of king. And then the title of emperor gets assigned after the fact. Because didn't they have a prophecy about like a Roman guy becoming a king and it was bad? Yeah, that's Caesar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they also called themselves Caesars. That's why they killed Caesar. Caesar's name becomes synonymous with king. So they're called Caesars. So that's why he, he renames himself Caesar Augustus. That's the other irony. <laughs> and then Caesar oh, goes man. on to become Tsar, and you get that title Ooh, in Russia. Fucking it stems back to Caesar. Do we have any Russian women on our list? I have Catherine the Great, and I have the Empress that came before her, who was also pretty okay. pretty amazing. great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then we've oh. got um, Olga of Kiev. She's not Russian, oh, but she's yeah. from the Baltics. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Anyway, that was the story of Cleopatra. Hell yeah. You've been listening to Difficult Damsels. Woohoo! Please rate, review, and subscribe. I'm I don't know why. I'm cheerleader in the background. I'm speaking like this is like a sports it's announcement. It's beautiful. I love but it. But anyway. <laughs> I'm just over here like with my hands in the air because my tattoo is starting to hurt. <laughs> you can um, email us at difficult.damsels at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram, so you can always come say hi. You know, we posted some fun stuff this week. (laughs) Listen, if Cleopatra has taught us anything, it's, you know, be difficult, but also you can be whatever you want to be. You literally just have to be like, I'm a goddess. Be your most authentic self. Go out there and be your most authentic goddess, goddess, difficult damsel. Fuck yeah. (laughs) Bye. Bye. (laughs) All right, you guys. So we just went back and listened to a couple clips of the very interrupted start stop start stop beginning we had oh my god it was so awful i wanted <laughs> to punch you <laughs> i'm just sitting over here i'm either like just like sighing really heavily with like my head in my hands or i'm trying really hard not to like giggle my ass off because i'm just like i could hear him and she's trying so hard to get through this i was and thinking it's like not working. it's fine it won't pick up on the microphone i'll just oh no i mean well i'm like I'm, I'm the one who edits so i know that like it picks up a fucking frog fart eight years away so <laughs> Anyway, so if you're still sticking around, enjoy these bloopers just, you're about to get. We're just gonna have, let you guys uh, in on the fun. Uh, <laughs> specifically, so you need to tell me. As news spread, new coins were minted in her image. Gold continued to flow into her al- already healthy coffers. And now the shipyards of Alexandria were busy. Mark Antony... <laughs> oh my fucking god! <laughs> ...wealth and power, and usher in a new golden age. As the ancient world loved its prophecies, these gifts seemed to confirm a prophecy that spoke of a Ptolemy that would outweigh all other sovereigns in wealth and power and usher in a new golden age. And so it's the new Dionysus. And of course, the city party. For the love of